Hey there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week, we're continuing our growth series, which we've been releasing intermittently throughout the spring. In short, this series is all about picking the minds of folks that have started growth teams from the ground up, and hopefully through these conversations, we'll expose frameworks and philosophies that can be applied back to growing your own business. Already, we've heard from growth leaders at Slack, Postmates, Eventbrite, and most recently, Andrew Chen, formerly of Uber and now a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Up this week, we've got Matt Sorensen, head of growth marketing at Clearbit. Clearbit, if you're not familiar, is a data platform to help sales and marketing teams drive growth. When Matt first joined the company in 2015 as one of its first hires, sales, marketing, customer development, even aspects of product development all fell under the growth umbrella. Today, his slightly larger growth team focuses on all aspects of marketing. We don't have a traditional marketing arm. Uh, What this means in practice is that really we just apply the same experimentation model to all of our marketing activity. Matt and I also got a chance to chat about the mistakes he sees growth marketers make with data. One of the big pieces is allowing yourself to operate with partial data. I see that a lot. People make decisions and they're like, they had data on 10% of their users. If they're a B2B company, that might be a very small number. And the success his team has seen from using long-form content, most notably its recent books, Data-Driven Sales and Data-Driven Marketing, to drive growth. Whenever possible, we try to tie our content efforts to revenue. And because we don't produce a huge velocity of content currently, we have to be a little careful in what we spend time and effort on. If you learn a thing or two from my chat with Matt, we've actually published more than 100 Inside Intercom interviews to date. So to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, subscribe to our show on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, or you can find us really anywhere you go for podcasts these days. And now let's hop in the studio where I'm joined by Clearbits, Matt Sorensen. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Matt, welcome to Inside Intercom. Great to have you in the office today. Just to get us started, can you give us a quick feel for your career to date? I mean, what brought you to Clearbit and what's the mission of your team there? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. My career has been pretty nonlinear or unconventional. I started out kind of building websites in high school. I would say that was maybe the beginning. And then didn't have much of a college experience, but got into real estate during college. Okay. Then into startups. Started a few companies. Uh, One we sold, two failed pretty quickly. And then a few years ago, I was taking a little break and met Alex and joined Clearbit uh, a couple months later. And Clearbit, for those not familiar, is a data platform um, around people and companies. So we provide data for modern sales and marketing teams across all of the products they already use. Yeah, full disclosure, you guys have an integration with us that uh, we've certainly been pretty happy with and a lot of our customers have as well. Um, so you, you came to Clearbit pretty soon after the company was founded, or at least the product was, was out of beta, I think it was yeah. the middle of 2015. You joined in a growth role, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah, so like, what was the original capacity of that role? Because it seems very early to me to... Have, have a company meeting, like investing in growth like that. Yeah, no. So growth at Clearbit early days is a little bit different. We actually had we have three engineers and three people that we categorize as growth. Mm-hmm. And that was sales, marketing, customer development, product development, um, ideation. So kind of everything across the board. Uh, so it wasn't traditionally what you would consider like most growth roles at larger companies. Right. Um, but what we did have was that sense of everything we were doing was a test or an experiment. So every time we sold a new use case, like that kind of was an experiment. And we were tracking that in the best way that we, we knew how at that time. So that, that kind of became the three of us became the growth team, which became the sales team and the product team. And now that's kind of stratified out. Okay, cool. And sort of just to give some context for our listeners, what was the size of Clearbit as a company at that time? Maybe what's the size of the company now and in your team now? Sure. So at that 
point, there were six of us, uh, three engineers and three people that were titled growth. And now we're just over 30. And the growth marketing team is four full time. Uh, and then we, we've always had a lot of contractors. We've got about 12 contractors on our team now. Okay. And you've the company has always had sort of this data-driven mission. So is that really at the mindset of the founders when they found you and made that early investment? Uh, it'd be nice to say that, that it was that, uh, that, <laughs> that easy. Yeah, that straightforward and, and pre-thought out because of what we what Clearbit is and the product that we sell, yeah. which is data you know, integrated in your, your uh, downstream solutions. Like data has always been a huge part of what we do. And on the growth side, it is like we get to play with a pretty cool data asset. And so, yeah, I would say like we're a relatively data-driven company, probably not perfect by any means, but uh, uh, it's kind of baked in. So put us in the room in those early days. You have a bunch of problems you could tackle on the board. There's a team of only six of you. What did you select to go after first and why? Yeah, so early, early days of Clearbit, we were building APIs for developers and product people, so data APIs. So we had a, uh, one of our first products was a watch list API, which is an OFAC compliance API, not something we really offer anymore. <laughs> and then we built an enrichment API, which is kind of our most popular product today, which is taking an email or domain name and turning that into 100 plus points of data. Prospector API, which is about lead generation, finding new contacts. So day in the life was we would be launching a new product every couple months, really. We'd be running through all the initial customer feedback, getting our first users up and going. And then one of the big pieces that happened quickly was kind of the persona development. So originally we built APIs, engineers, product people can use them. They want to build them, add features to their products. Very quickly, we started getting a ton of interest from sales and marketing professionals who wanted to use it in their CRM and the market automation tool. Uh, they wanted to send emails. They want to personalize their website, personalize emails. And we didn't have products for that. Right. We, we had APIs. Um, so that was uh, the f- huge part of the first year was like figuring out how to move in that direction. Yeah. So where'd you start? I mean, that seems like such an interesting challenge. Yeah, so we started with uh, a bunch of things. We started with a Salesforce integration pretty early, actually. Uh, looking back, we got kind of lucky in taking that step. That's become a really big part of the business. Uh, we built a Google Sheets integration, a Google um, Gmail integration. Yeah, we just more and more integrations and kind of figured out where it hit and where it stuck, and people got the most value from it. And so now you're officially head of growth marketing. Yeah. So what falls under your purview? Is it the whole marketing funnel top to bottom, Where where's your team working? Yeah, so at Clearbit, we put all marketing under growth marketing. We don't have a traditional marketing arm. And uh, what this means in practice is that really we just apply the same experimentation model mm-hmm. to all of our marketing activity, whether that's content or brand marketing. And so our three focuses, broadly speaking, our lead gen, creating a highly qualified pipe for the sales team, content. And when, when we do content, we don't do a ton of volume in terms of content, but we do uh, pretty long-form pieces. Mm-hmm. And then expanding our world of free users. So that's kind of the, the third piece is kind of our more, feels more B2C. Okay. Um, in that we have almost 400,000 users of our free products. Yeah, so what's sort of having the whole marketing team be growth marketing? I mean, is that really just encapsulating the idea that it really is everyone's job to grow the company? Is that how you, you all look at it? or Kind of. Um, it's everyone's job to grow the company, but it's also just thinking about things in an experimentation mindset instead mm-hmm. of like, my job is to create blog posts. Yep. It's my job is to do X or to change X number. Mm-hmm. And one of my tactics is to write blog posts or create content. Awesome. So then it sounds like data is at the center of all that. I'm sure you've learned your own fair share over the past few years and at Clearbit and before, but what are some of the common mistakes, you know, looking at the outside that you see a lot of people either in marketing as a whole or growth marketing making when it comes to their data? Or is there something maybe that they could squeeze more out of that is often ignored? What are your thoughts there? It's a good question. I think 
one of the big pieces is not having enough data mm-hmm. or th- like allowing yourself to operate with partial data. I see that a lot. People make decisions and they're like, they had data on 10% of their users. If they're a B2B company, that might be a very small number. Right. And they make some large decision on that. And not to like pitch clear a bit here, but any data enrichment vendor, adding data to what you have just lets you make smarter decisions kind of everywhere, mm-hmm. whether it be in emails or segmentation. Uh, so I think that's one of the biggest wins I see is people finding the right data, whether it's through a vendor or like figuring out what, what signal actually matters and then applying that to every user. It just gives you such a higher leverage point. Right. And then the other side, I think treating data as a static object and like you have this database of a few million people or half a million people or 20,000 people, uh, those, all that data changes a lot every month. Um, and I think people don't really think about that. And then, again, continue making decisions based on data they've had for three or four or five years mm-hmm. um, or six months. Um, so I think those are the two pieces we see the most and probably because they're, like, so closely tied to what a product does. But we see people really struggle with those pieces. And then once they solve them, have really cool gains. Yes, you bring up an interesting point there. It's something we talk about a lot, how we sort of use Intercom to support Intercom, yeah. to sell Intercom. Um, we use our product to, you know, serve our product out to the world. So I'm curious, like, how are you using Clearbit to help you grow Clearbit in that matter? Yeah. Um, so we use we use Clearbit pretty heavily. Enrichment kind of across every single thing that we do. Our support team uses enrichment in their support tools. Our sales team uses it in their sales tools. Uh, the marketing team uses it for communication personalization. And then our reveal product, which is the IP intelligence product, uh, we use kind of everywhere to identify uh, interest. Um, we use it to trigger chat. We use it to uh, personalize the website, um, all sorts of things. When it comes to data specifically, how is your team incorporating that into how you're qualifying your marketing leads? Because I know that's like a massive challenge for people always trying to figure out how to do that as efficiently as possible. Where do you start there? Yeah, so we've gone through quite a few iterations of this, and we actually once a month kind of go through a fresh iteration mm-hmm. of like what is a qualified lead this month? Um, what is What does the sales team really want, and what are they able to uh, you know, have the highest velocity closes with? Mm-hmm. And for us, what it's really come down to in terms of data points is the technology that a company uses as well as their business tag. So we dropped using any sort of industry categorization like NAICS or SIC, uh, and we used a ML-based tagging system that we developed uh, that looks at the content of the website and puts companies into categories like SaaS, B2B, Enterprise, Marketplace. And for us, SaaS, B2B, and they use one of six pieces of technology, super high signal. Of course, job title matters as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's become relatively formulaic now. So when you're revisiting that on a monthly basis, who's in that room? Where does the discussion start? Yeah, so that uh, we have a monthly, kind of just a monthly sync that's kind of just calibrate marketing effort and sales effort. Head of sales, CRO, head of ops, and myself. We go through quantity and then previous qualified quantity and see if pipeline is, uh, is growing at the expected rate. And then we dig into essentially bad leads. So anything that's been flagged as bad, and we figure out why. Uh, and make sure we don't do we can exclude that going forward. So growth at Clearbit predates a lot of the other branches of the company. Yeah. What was it like for you as you brought sales on board and customer success on board? How did you learn to work with those groups? What worked? What didn't work? Yeah, I think we were lucky in that we did things relatively slowly. We grew the team very slowly for the first three uh, and a half years. And that let us kind of somewhat organically just figure that out. Mm-hmm. We brought customer success, like true customer success on a little bit too late. 
now that we have a, a we have a phenomenal success team, and now that they're up and running at full capacity, it's like such a huge burden lifted from the company. That's great. How are you? I mean, how are you defining customer success in your context? Uh, in our context, customer success is everything past close. Okay. So once the close happens, essentially, there's a, a half handoff, and mm-hmm. customer success kind of takes over on implementation and onboarding. So at Clearbit, customer success works with all of our annual customers, and then we have a support team that works with the growth team to have kind of automated support and success for our self serve customers. And you mentioned the content falls under your team's umbrella. Are you talk, sitting down with sales a lot to talk about what they need to help close the deals? Are you sort of showing them, here's the library, what we have, what we have in the pipeline, and letting them run with that? How does that partnership work? Yeah, great question. We do quite a bit of sales collateral work, and some of it's ad hoc. We try to make sure that it's a little bit more predictable and also that the need lasts. One thing that often happens when... You're at a B2B company that's not closing, you know, thousands of deals a week. You become pretty reactive to those few deals a week that you're closing or not closing. And if there's a piece of collateral that feels like it could have helped close one deal, often it's very loud. Right. So we try to uh, pace that out a little bit so that need has to stay true for a few weeks before we uh, commit resources to creating that resource. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Well, one thing your team has done really well in the past year is you've actually released two long-form books, Data-Driven Marketing and Data-Driven Sales. So, see the data theme rings <laughs> rings true there, very close to the, the brand and the company mission. Uh, the books are really interesting in a lot of different ways uh, outside of the fact that the, the content is just really strong. One of the things that comes to mind for me, because it's simply just different than the way that we've done things with our own books, not that any way is right or wrong or anything of that nature, it depends what the goals are, but you've released these one chapter at a time, You know, put them online, they're not gated, anyone can read them, as you sort of build up to this big grand release. What drove that approach and you know, what are you trying to squeeze out of it in that way that you, someone who's just publishing a book that's gated to try to get leads maybe isn't? Where's the divergence path there? Yeah, so we were actually very inspired by you guys with your books. And I remember looking at those almost a year and a half ago and thinking, like, this is something that we want to try to emulate. Mm-hmm. And then I also have always really liked this website called Hack Design, which does this 12-course series, and they send it out weekly once you sign up. 
They're actually not releasing it weekly, but they send it weekly. Yeah. And I always thought that was really cool. It's like a cool serialization of content. Uh, and it had an expert teacher for each lesson. And so we kind of decided we're going to try to combine those two and do a serialized book where each chapter was written by a subject matter expert, so an expert on that specific topic, uh, and then we'd release a chapter approximately every two weeks. We weren't super uh, dedicated to that timeline, but pretty close. And the hypothesis was that we could get some of the best minds in the world to give us their knowledge on sales and marketing. And then we also, for each chapter that we quote-unquote launched, would actually launch. Mm-hmm. So we'd have 12 mini-launches or 10 mini-launches before this, this larger launch. So we'd right. just be building momentum and building a larger audience around it and getting people used to that that name and that brand. So you mentioned going with all external contributors there. I mean, there are people from Zindex, Zendesk, HubSpot, SalesLoft contributing to, to the, your books. What's not there is clear bit bylines. Why go all in on the outside approach? Just curious. Yeah, so our goal with this project wasn't to like push the Clearbit product or mm-hmm. push the Clearbit brand per se. It was just to bring attention to people that were doing really cool stuff with data in sales and marketing. And luckily, a lot of the time they tend to be doing that with Clearbit data. Um, so we get a nice little nice little piece there. But really, it's like, here's something awesome is some, that someone is doing with data, something you may not have thought about mm-hmm. before, or a way to at least look at this process in a data driven way. So as someone who ran production on both these books, of all the different topics that you broached throughout the, the sales vertical and the marketing vertical, was there one that was a particular aha moment for you where either like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that or, oh, that's something that maybe on the surface doesn't seem like it's that important. But then as I've now you know read this person's take on it, it's something I'm excited to revisit. Yeah, I think there was two two chapters for me that stuck out the most. One was uh, a topic that we talked a ton about, but very few customers at that point had been able to do it end to end. And that was like automating your outbound sales effort. Yeah. So we call it internally the reveal loop, but it's using an IP intelligence product, either Clearbit or someone else, to take an IP address, map that to a company, and then send out automated outbound email to your likely buyers at that company. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially retargeting with email. Uh, and only works for certain B2B verticals, I think. But it's really, really interesting. And looking at the success that some people had with that was was really, really fun. And for us, that was like an aha moment of this is a real product uh, or a real value that we offer um, that we can, can like expand upon. And the other one was in data-driven marketing. We wrote a book about uh, data-driven PR. And that was like how to structure your content or how to structure any content so that it's built to help journalists tell stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then use that to get them to essentially to start telling stories that you want them to. Yeah, I think that approach, and there's not all that many companies that have done it, but it's really cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've, uh, we had Gina Gotthilf on recently, who was, used to lead growth at Duolingo, and she mentioned that one of the most underrated growth tactics, at least from her experience, is just simply being good at PR, um, particularly in the early days, just knowing how to grab a journalist's attention and shape a story so that they can shout about it for you. Yeah, and it's it's funny because PR is something that we have put very little effort into, but reading that chapter made me really reevaluate that and uh, has changed some plans. Nice. So external contributors, any lessons learned in terms of difficulties there if a similar listener is going to try to embark on a project like this and partner with a whole bunch of brands and thinkers that they respect? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of learnings. <laughs> um, I think for us, we would have front-loaded more and planning is everything and prepping is everything and... Uh, when we first started doing it, we had relatively loose guardrails around. It was like, here's the topic. You're an expert. You know, we'll help you write this chapter. Yeah. By the end, it was, here's our six-step process. We're going to write an outline together on the mm-hmm. phone. <laughs> and uh, it got, yeah, it got significantly tighter. 
Uh, and we were able to do, you know, six-week production on each chapter, and whereas in the beginning, sometimes it would take much longer. But yeah, process, preparation, we hired an editor per book, um, kind of a managing editor, mm-hmm. and they were invaluable. Yeah, Michael and Natalie were just incredibly talented, did such a good job of making sure every chapter more or less came out in a similar voice, so it was, like, consistent to kind of read through. Yeah, that's one of the most difficult yeah. challenges there when every, a lot of our books, we, they may be all internal writers, but there's still 12 individual contributors who all have their own voice to some respect. And you want to channel a little bit of that in there while still making it cohesive. You mentioned that the way that your team looks at content is you really double down on long form. And not only is our books themselves long form, but I mean, these are really detailed chapters. I think one reason why people are intimidated by long form as opposed to the, oh, I just can hammer out a month's worth of 750 word to a thousand blog posts is just, they know like, okay, someone comes here, they go to my marketing site. It's very easy to track this down. How are you measuring both the performance and sort of the ROI of a project of this scale? Yeah. So whenever possible, we try to tie our content efforts to revenue. And because we don't produce a huge velocity of content Mm -hmm. currently, we have to be a little careful in what we spend time and effort on. For the book specifically, we looked at two pieces of data. So direct revenue. So, and that's anytime a customer bought and their first interaction with Clearbit, first interaction ever at their at that domain level was the book mm. or one of the books. And the second is influenced revenue. So it's anyone that was in a sales cycle and then read a chapter or saw, saw some of that content. And so that was kind of the two revenue metrics that we tracked most closely. And then, of course, we did look at some higher, higher funnel metrics to determine which chapters were you know, performing. Mm. So we looked at how, like completion rate of chapters, uh, sharing views. But that was kind of a... Uh, more of which which chapters should we spend effort promoting right. versus, uh, yeah, which ones drive revenue. So if you were to embark on a third book now, what might you do differently, either when it comes to measurement, promotion, whatever it is? Yeah. In terms of promotion, I think we would make it a tiny bit more formulaic. I think that's true across the whole book. Yeah. Um, and then it was a learning process. So now we, now we know. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like something that we can uh, impart wisdom on. But yeah, promotion, promotion is, you know, two thirds of this. And so you spend all this time writing this great, great, great content and then figuring out how to kind of programmatically or automatically promote stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stuff that we've started to get better at. One really cool thing about having the guest authors is often their companies or, or their right. firms or whatever will help in that promotional effort. Um, but even that, giving people a bunch of pre-created assets, blurbs, pre-created tweets, all of that, every single thing you do for that other company or that other person increases the amount that they'll help you promote. Yeah, and absolutely. That sounds very logical, but uh, it takes a while to get there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and then obviously you have this, you know, this big wealth of, of content here. Books for us have been a massive tool for our sales team. Mm-hmm. Did you have to treat it almost like a product and that you had to sort of coach the sales team on exactly what was in there, how they could best leverage it? Um, or was it something where you could just hand it off and they were able to run with it? Yeah, a bit of both. We were we're lucky in that the sales team mostly took took it uh, on their their own effort to read through all the chapters or most of the chapters, and then certain chapters become a big, have become big parts of the sales cycle. Yeah. So those, those ones they've gotten pretty familiar with, but again, a relatively small team and it's been pretty organic. So this type of long form content, really trying to create the canonical story around its particular topic. Do you think that's a tactic that works for you know, any type of SaaS company or is there some other companies where you might say, you know, maybe this actually isn't the best best type of content to grow your business? Yeah, I would say it's probably not the right type for many companies. <laughs> um, it's uh, incredibly labor intensive. 
what it produces is very cool, and we're very excited to have done it. But we also are in the mid-market to upper end of the B2B SaaS market. So contract size allows us to spend quite a bit on something like this, whereas uh, other products that might be different. Yeah, I think we were lucky and we got great, amazing contributors and the the editors were phenomenal. But uh, I don't think this is a tactic for everyone. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, been through a few of these myself. Yeah. So just to, for the last few minutes here, we've got a few lightning round growth related questions we've been asking all of our guests coming on the show uh, this spring. So short answer is totally fine here. But if you want to expand on something, by all means, do so. Ready to hop in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's start. Favorite underused growth tactic? Free products. Free products. Why? You can have massive scale and you can drive paid acquisition to a free product, which then gives you a captive subscriber audience that you can like you can upsell to for the next nine months for free. One book that's most influenced your thinking and why? On writing well, William Zinster. It's really impacted how I communicate, especially like with my team, which has changed how I think. So it's not, uh, I don't have like a sentence for how it's changed how I think, but I think when you write better, you think better. That's interesting. A lot of actually, I've heard our engineers here advocating for that book when it comes to uh, getting better as a writer as yeah. well. Your um, favorite recent onboarding experience, because I'm sure you pay more attention to these than the casual consumer. <laughs> yeah, so I did two, backcountry.com. I hadn't used that in forever, and I bought some ski gear there this, this winter. Really, really nice email flow post-purchase. And then they have like customer success people that reach out to talk about gear with you, uh, which is super unusual for, yeah. you know, a, you know, clothing companies. Right. Yeah. And in the B2B world, uh, AppQs. AppQs is an onboarding personalization type tool, and they do a really, really nice job of blending your uh, success rep with automated messages. Um, yeah, it's just really, really nicely done. Great. Uh, who in the growth community do you look up to or think we have the most to learn from? I think in like the SaaS world, B2B world, we still learn most of it from B2C, mm-hmm. uh, just a couple of years late. Anna Hongo over at Musical.ly does some really, really cool stuff. Uh, Musical.ly, I don't understand it, but it's in, it works insanely well, and people are so addicted to it. Um, it's pretty cool. And then uh, Yuri um, Taiman, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, over at Grammarly. Mm-hmm. Super smart dude. Cool. Cool. We'll check him out. Messengers, are, is this a game-changing new channel for growth? Is it too early to say? Do you think there's too much hype around it? What are your thoughts? Uh, yes and no. I think that chatbots are pretty interesting, kind of along with site personalization, chatbots, and like the IP t- intelligence. They all fall into the same category for me, mm-hmm. which is trying to engage people earlier. Yeah. People know everything about your product by the time they talk to sales, typically, not always, but they think they know everything. So the sooner you can engage them, higher up that funnel, uh, the higher conversion rate you should have. Uh, so I think that theme will continue and that trend is continuing. I don't know if it's game-changing, but it's new. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for you. Uh, what's a common mistake that you see growth teams make when it comes to running experiments? What you, makes you cringe? Uh, I think this happens to, to us occasionally, which is why it's top of mind, but um, just like over-committing to ex- an experiment, um, not recalibrating. Mm-hmm. So like just getting into something and just you want it to be true, so you keep working it and, and keep working it and keep working it, and you do it for two, three times as long as you should. Yeah, that's, that's a little frustration point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Matt, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Adam. Uh, you guys have a lot going on at Clearbit. There's obviously the books that we talked a lot about. Where can our listeners go to find the books and learn more generally about what's going on with your team there? Yeah, head over to clearbit.com slash books uh, to check out the books. And uh, yeah, give us a shout or give me a shout if I can ever help with anything. Cool, great. Well, thanks again and we'll talk soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. 
For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.